0: Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. So can we stand to our feet and welcome Peter McHugh. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thanks everybody. You can be seated. That's great. Appreciate that. Cheers, mate. Uh, Very good. Well, uh, a big round of thanks to all of you for uh, accommodating uh, me and my family uh, today. Uh, I'd resolve that I just wasn't going to see Isaac get baptised, so he's our seventh grandchild, I think, from memory. And uh, all the other grandparents are going to be there, but then when I uh, indicated to Justin that I probably wouldn't want to do lunch because there was going to be a celebration lunch uh, as a family... He came back and said, well, why don't we flick things around? So thank you for accommodating me. I really do appreciate it, as do my family, uh, which is really great. Um, so on your seat, there are two things. There's a book and there's a flyer. Let me just quickly uh, attend to these and then we'll jump into the Word of God together. So the book, first of all. Um, Most of you know that I have the privilege of being the senior leader of Stairway Church uh, up in Vermont and uh, we've been on a journey now probably for around about 15 years on the topic that you are exploring uh, for the next term and so signs, wonders and miracles. So what this book represents is about a hundred stories from people in our congregation Ranging from the the age of 12 up to about 70 who have seen miracles happen through their hands as they've prayed for people. And so as you, well, if you choose to read it, um, what you'll discover is there's the theology that sits back behind it, but then there's also all the stories that have come. And uh, it's inspiring for you because these are people who live in Melbourne. They're not people who live in America in a place called Bethel. They actually live here in Melbourne and uh, and they've seen it happen in shopping centres here in Melbourne and in schools and in all sorts of different places, not just in the church. I don't think there's very many testimonies in here about the church. So anyway, I had a number of copies left over and when Justin said to me, this is what you're out I thought oh well I'll give you all one as well so that's a gift from me to you you're welcome to that. Um, thank you uh, the second is uh, the flyer which is here so this is actually um, a representation of this book uh, here which was just released three weeks ago internationally and so destiny image have Uh, invited me to join their group of authors and uh, so this book I'll refer to very briefly when I'm preaching. Uh, This book is all about who you are in Christ Um, but just very uh, quickly let me read to you what Alan Meyer uh, said. So Alan Meyer is one of Australia's great teachers um, and he's a part of our church. He says, although I have lived preached and discussed the gospel for decades I was repeatedly stunned, overwhelmed and awestruck by the implications and consequences of the work of Jesus as Peter reveals it in this book. I feel like the Lord's really given me a message that, uh, that he's wanting to spread. And so uh, Bill Johnson, who's a very good friend uh, as well... Uh, in the forward to the book says, Radically Restored to Oneness with God is a brilliant book. It is filled, and I do mean filled, with insight and inspiration. And it couldn't come at a better time. With much of the world in chaos and the church often mirroring the instability of our surroundings, Radically Restored is given that we might become established in truth and from there reveal the absolute rock, Christ Jesus. Um, And so this is just to let you know that it's available, you can get it at Kurong, you can get it at Word, you can get it off Amazon if you trust them, um, and uh, you'll be blessed as you read it. All right, so that's all out of the way, now let's go to the most important book called the Bible. So if you've got one with you, we're going to the book of Mark uh, to begin with. So I consider it a privilege uh, to be able to be with you today. I always count it a great privilege to be able to stand in any church and bring the Word of God, and I trust that it will be opened up to you by the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray. So, Holy Spirit, as we come to your Word, I'm asking that you would reveal truth to our hearts that we would be changed. Lord, I don't want to speak to people's minds. I want to speak to their heart. And, oh, Holy Spirit, you're the one that invades our heart, You're the one who invades our understanding. And so I ask that that would be our experience today, mine as well as everybody else's. As we come to your word, Lord, let it be illuminated to our hearts that we might be changed and that we might serve you more deeply and fully. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're talking about signs, wonders, and miracles. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15, we read the following. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So my first thought for you this morning is that Jesus came preaching the gospel of God to reveal the kingdom of God. And so preaching is not just in words, it's actually in actions as well. It's in experience and encounter. And so the, my first point is that Jesus came to preach the gospel of God to reveal the kingdom of God. The second point is in the following two verses. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. So not only did Jesus come preaching the gospel of God to reveal the kingdom of God, he invited people to be his apprentices. He invited people to be his disciples because he wanted them to join in his mission. And not only did he invite the 12, but he's inviting us in the same way, which we'll see later on as we read the scripture. And so I want you to imagine today that Jesus is actually in the room and he's walked past you or he's walking past you and he's extending the same invitation to you as he did to Simon and Andrew. It's exactly the same invitation that he is extending to us as he did to these men. These were simple folk, just like you and me. They didn't have any, you know, sort of whiz-bang ideas about them. They just went about their daily business. And Jesus said, would you become an apprentice of mine? Would you come and would you learn from me? Because I want you to participate in the mission that God has given to me. Just as I've come to preach the gospel of God, to reveal the kingdom, I want you to join with me in doing that. As well. And so that's our invitation here today. The third thing we find is in uh, verse 21 of the same uh, chapter, Mark 1, verse 21. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we, do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's interesting that the demons knew better than the people listening to him, but that's another story. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him, throwing him into a convulsion. The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? So they'd seen a power that they'd not seen before. So my third thought for you this morning is that Jesus came preaching the gospel of God to reveal the kingdom. And he invited others to be apprentices of his so that they could carry on the mission. And the third thing was that it was in the context of a clash of two kingdoms where power was released. And so when we come into signs, wonders and miracles, what we're really coming into is the establishment of the kingdom of God as we step in as apprentices of Jesus, and it's in the context of a clash of two kingdoms. And so that means that we're actually fighting for the freedom of other people. We're not just singing about it, which is fantastic. And I enjoy the moment of worship with you, and I'm going to feel ripped off because I only got 10 minutes of worship today, and that's not enough for this human being. But, um, but the idea is that there's, this whole idea of stepping into signs, wonders and miracles is that you're stepping into warfare. You're stepping into a battle. And so what we just, I just want to stop here and go, what do you think the kingdom of God is? I'm going to come at this from two angles this morning. So the first thought is this, where the kingdom of God is wherever the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority exists. That's how you know where the kingdom is. It's where the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority exists. And then the activity of the kingdom is restoring everything back to the way God originally intended it to be. And so your salvation is an example of that. That when you came to faith, what God was doing is restoring you back to being a child of God, the way he originally intended it to be. And it happened because you accepted the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority in your life and you let go of your own authority. You said, I'm going to yield to you being my Lord and I'm no longer going to be my own Lord. And that's an ongoing journey for all of us. We sort of get all excited and enthusiastic about it when we come to faith, but then that sort of wanes away a little bit and then we have to stay enthusiastic and excited, just like you were this morning, to continue the journey of every area of our heart coming under the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority because God is actually wanting to restore everything back to the way he originally intended it to be. And so I want to suggest to you this morning, as wonderful as this is, this was not Jesus' primary idea about you being an apprentice. His primary idea about you being an apprentice is that The other six days of the week and the half of the day that you've got left after you get out of church is that you would be an apprentice to Jesus where you are revealing the kingdom of God. That is the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority in the context of a clash of two kingdoms where power is released so that everything is restored back to the way God originally intended it to be. That's what this is all about. So signs, wonders and miracles are about restoring everything back to the way God originally intended it to be. He didn't intend people to be sick. And so we pray for sickness because we want them to be restored back to the way God originally intended to be. But God didn't want people to be possessed by demonic power or oppressed by demonic power where they're making choices that in their heart they know are dumb, but they just can't stop themselves going there because the spiritual forces that have been pushing them around for a long time and so we get the privilege to cast those suckers out so that they can be restored back to the way God originally intended them to be. Signs and wonders and miracles is not sort of the ice cream of Pentecostals. It's the bread and butter of the kingdom of God. It's, it's the bread and butter of what it means to be an apprentice to Jesus. Because that's what Jesus called Andrew and Simon into. And then the very first part, the place where it gets displayed, is he's casting a demon out of somebody who recognizes who Jesus is more than the Pharisees and the scribes did. And so, so that's what this is all about. That's what this next term is all about. And I do count it a privilege to be able to set the scene for all of those who follow after today. And so what's our role? So it's like I am saying to you that you have been called to be an apprentice of Jesus just like Simon and Andrew. Um, the Bible ...bears that out in all sorts of ways. Let me just prove it to you. John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me... ...who believes in Jesus, raise your hand. It's not a trick question. If you believe in Jesus, just raise your hand. Very good. If you don't believe in him, then you have an opportunity... ...before you leave today to make that choice. And it will be the best choice that you ever make. But I say to you, he who believes in me... ...the works that I do, he will do. He also will do. And greater works than these, he will do... ...because I go to the Father... And so if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the privilege of stepping in to do the works that Jesus did. That's you're an apprentice, you're learning how to do that. Now some of us are further along on that journey than others and we'll discuss in a minute what the journey looks like, the three main characteristics of that journey. But you're being invited into a journey and for some of you feel like you're going to be starting at minus eight and some will feel like you're starting at minus four and some will feel like you're starting at two and some who are the early adopters are going to be out there at plus six. It doesn't matter where you are on the journey, the invitation is to step into your destiny. To step into the fullness of who God has called you to be. You're not an ordinary human being. You're part of a royal priesthood, a holy people set apart to restore everything back to the way that God originally intended it to be. That's why we're here on the earth. We're not here on the earth just to come to church on Sundays, as wonderful as this experience is and as much as I value church because I've been building one for 32 years. But you are to be released into your daily lives to meet human need. Because God wants the people around you to have encounters and experience with him. And you carry that on the inside. We're going to see that in a minute. So Jesus said we can do what he did. Romans chapter 8 verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn amongst many brethren. And so Jesus was the firstborn amongst many brethren. God always intended that there would be a family of disciples, a family of apprentices that Jesus was the firstborn of. And we now, 2,000 years on, have the privilege of being one of those many brethren. And so in having that privilege to be one of those many brethren, we are being invited into a place where we can be conformed into the image of Christ. So that assumes the idea of being conformed or transformed presumes that there are parts of us that aren't conformed. that There are parts of us that haven't been transformed. That in our inner world there are belief systems that cause us when you know, we start to think about, oh, I'm not sure that I actually even know how to pray for people to be healed, let alone want to pray for them to be healed. I mean, can't I just come to church on Sundays and go to a small group? And can't I just have my own little work relationship with Jesus? Well, yes, you can. And you'll go to heaven and, and that'll be great. Heaven's a flipping long time. Um, it's, it's eternity. And I don't know what you think about heaven, but from my point of view, heaven is a new heaven and a new earth. Um, we actually are going to be living lives A little bit like this, but in a whole new creation. We're not going to be playing harps on clouds. We're actually going to be taking what we've learnt in this life into the next life. And there is actually reward and loss attached to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We read about that. Some build with wood, hay and stubble. Others build with gold, silver and precious stones. And that, if you read there, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11, you'll read and you'll find that fire will fall on you. And it will burn up the wood, hay and stubble and you will just take with you into the new heaven and the new earth, the gold, silver and precious stones. And so what you're entering into in the next uh, school term is the opportunity to find gold, silver and precious stones, revelation knowledge that replaces wood, hay and stubble, that which you're familiar with, that which you already know. Wood, hay and stubble, agricultural community, they found it everywhere gold, silver and precious stones, they didn't find them, they had to go looking for them, it was a place of discovery and so you're going on a journey of discovery over the next school term and as you come to church and as you uh, fellowship with one another and as you're in your small groups, it should be a time of God open up to me the possibilities of who I really am, that I might actually participate in seeing the kingdom of God come to the earth because that's why I was born, that's why I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm not a follower of Jesus just to tick a box and come to church every Sunday, please keep ticking the box. But, but it's much more than that. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to us that we can do what he did. And Paul is saying we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's your destiny. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17, as he is, so also are we in this world. <clears throat> so just as Jesus was in the world, we're meant to be in the world as well. That was what John understood. So it's my hope and my prayer that as you're listening to me this morning, that that you're actually opening your heart up to the possibility of who you really are. You're not just an ordinary human being. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. And it's been given to you that you might restore everything back to the way God originally intended it to be. Not just for your life, but for the lives of those around you. So as we step into this journey, as we step into this lifestyle, what are the three things that I've discovered that at Stairway we've discovered as I listen to Bill Johnson talk about? The three things that I constantly hear being repeated over and over again in different ways using different words are these. So the first is found in Luke chapter 17 and in verse 20 and 21. So Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So, let me give you my second set of thoughts about the kingdom this morning. The first is that the kingdom is where the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority exists so that everything can be restored back to the way God originally intended it to be. But here, Jesus is saying that the kingdom is not observed in signs. So when you're talking about signs and wonders and miracles, that's not where actually the kingdom is. It's where the kingdom is demonstrated, but it's not where the kingdom is. The kingdom is within you. So what does that mean? Thank you for asking such a Incredibly insightful question. What it means that the kingdom is your inner consent to God's view of reality. The kingdom within you is, that you is your inner consent, your inner believing to God's view of reality. That's what the kingdom is. And so it's when you, in, you agree with what God's view of reality is on the inside. And then you respond to his invitation to participate in him, in his journey with mankind, wanting to change the world, restore everything back to the way God originally intended it to be. And so if you're going to step into signs, wonders and miracles, the first thing that you have to pay attention to is what are you believing on the inside? Do you have inner consent with the fact that you actually can do what Jesus did? Do you really believe that? Now, if you don't, that's okay. I give you permission this morning to have doubt. I give you permission this morning to have unbelief. I give you permission this morning to be self-aware that that's where you're up to. I don't give you permission to stay there. But I do give you permission to acknowledge it. Because all transformation begins with self-awareness and personal responsibility. We see this with the father and the boy who's, who's been thrown around in convulsions. And, and he says to the Lord, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And what he was really saying was that in my inner consent, in my inner world, I don't actually really believe what Peter's saying this morning. I, I actually don't really believe that I can do the works that Jesus did and even greater works. I want to give you permission to be able to say that because God already knows that anyway. So you can't hide it from him. Don't try and put a fig leaf over it and pretend that it's not there. You know, he, he's already aware that it's there. He's inviting you into a journey to actually discover what stops you believing that. What what is it that in your experience of life has caused you to think of yourself more lowly than what God thinks of you? And so so when the kingdom is within you, it's in a consent to God's view of reality. And it's the same. It's not just in signs, wonders and miracles. It's in the way you express your sexuality. It's in the way that you don't gossip about people. It's in the way that you forgive people. You have inner consent with God's view of reality that just as I've been forgiven, so I need to forgive other people. I have inner consent with God's view of reality that I need to offer personal opinions that only give value to people and not gossip about them and put them down. I have inner consent, and this is the wrestle of what it is to be a follower of Jesus: is am I going to actually agree with, am I going to consent to believing that the Word of God is true rather than what I think is true? And that's when the kingdom. So when the kingdom, that's how the kingdom gets in you, because what signs, wonders, and miracles are, is just the release of the kingdom that's in you into the world around you. But if, you're not the, if you don't have the inner consent on the inside, you're not going to be able to release it to the world around you. And so the big struggle for us and what we found at Stairway and why it's, you know, it's still a journey that we're on uh, there as well is that the people are at different stages of the journey. And so we've got the early adopters, the, the book that I've given to you this morning, Priorities, speaks a lot about the early adopters, the ones who, who quickly had inner consent that God can use me to heal the sick. And some of the stories in there are amazing that happened in shopping centres and, and the miracles that happened uh, are extraordinary. But it all came down to them actually believing because they were at sort of plus five or plus six in the believing scale of tens the highest. But then there's the majority of the congregation at Stairway when we started on this journey were back around minus five or minus six. And that was okay because what it was, it was about how do we actually go this journey together that we get a consent that agrees with God's view of reality. You are one of the many brethren. Jesus' view of you is that you are predestined to be conformed to his image. That's what the Holy Spirit thinks you put your hand up for. The Holy Spirit thinks you said, when you said yes to Jesus, he thinks you also said, yes, I want to be just like Jesus. You may not have realized that that's what you said, but that's what he heard. What we say and what's heard can be two different things. I don't know if you've ever found that. Particularly in marriage, you think you've said something to your partner and they say something back to you and go, I don't think you actually heard what I said. I think you interpreted what I said and you've now said it back to me the way you wanted to hear it. So when you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit heard you say, I want to be just like him. And so now he's taking you up on that. And so I think the first thing that I want to give permission for in this run of 12 weeks that you're in is try and figure out where you are. Minus six is okay. It really is okay. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. That's what life is all about. It's not about where you start, it's always where you finish. And so, so it's this inner consent. If I don't have inner consent to God's view of reality that I am predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ and as Jesus was in the world, so I'm meant to be like him in the world and that I can do the works of Jesus. If, I, if I'm at minus six, that's okay. That's where I'm going to start the journey. If I'm at minus two, that's okay as well. And the ones that are at plus six, then just pray like crazy that everybody else gets a spirit of wisdom and revelation and catches up to you. Thank God for, that you're a leader for us. But, but let's go the journey together. Let's be open and not resist it, but hear what the Holy Spirit... So when you come to church over every week for the next 13 weeks, just open your heart and say, God, I want to have greater inner consent about your view of reality and how you see me. God's view of reality is that the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority would exist in the lives of the people you work with, that you live beside, that you shop with, and that everything would be restored back to the way God originally intended to be for them. And that they would have an experience with him because that's what Jesus did. Whenever Jesus did a sign, wonder, and miracle, he was demonstrating his inner consent and He's restoring somebody back to the way God originally intended them to be. That's our privilege. Yes, so good. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So the first thing, uh, the first consideration in this journey that you're going to go on is where is your inner consent up to, to God's view of reality about who you are? And those around you, the second um, oh sorry, uh, and so that 's where radically restored that 's where this book comes into. This is all about your identity. this is about the fact that you 've been radically restored to oneness with God, and about the fact if, if you can grab a hold of the truth that 's in here, it will help you on that journey um, that 's for you to consider. okay, the second thing is in mark chapter one uh, verse forty one and forty two so staying you know where we started, mark chapter one verse forty one Oh, Actually, i start in verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. The second thing that I want you to consider is that signs, wonders and miracles, first of all, are as an expression of your inner consent to God's view of reality, but then they are empowered by compassion, which is love and action. Yeah. And so, so you, you have inner consent, you're on a journey, I believe that you know, God wants to use me this way. And let me just say this to you, that most of us when we start on this journey, the first 10 times we pray for someone to be healed, nothing happens nothing happens. Sometimes it does happen, but but you've just got to get used to the fact that you're going to fail. I don't know about you, but when I learned to ride a push bike, I fell off lots of times and I got lots of gravel rash. When I learned to drive a car, I crunched the gears when I was learning on a manual car and I ran into the gutter. Did that stop me from trying? No. Why? Because I wanted to ride a bike. I wanted to drive a car. So the thing is, how desperately do you want to be an apprentice to Jesus and be conformed to his image? Are you going to let a little bit of failure stop you along the way? No, of course you're not. That's not who you are. You're somebody who wants to step into the fullness of who God's called you to be. And so compassion is what keeps us going. Compassion is love and action. And so it gets connected to the third consideration that I want you to think of, which is in chapter 2 and verse 1. When he came back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug uh, an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Verse 5, and Jesus seeing their faith said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Where do we find inner consent? We find it in our heart. Where do we reason? We reason in our heart. They were reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So here we find that the challenge for the Pharisees and scribes was that they reasoned in their heart where inner consent is and they have already had a worldview that Jesus was trying to break into and they were unable to let him break into that worldview. Because they already believe something about sin and how sin can be forgiven. You might already have a worldview about who you are and whether healing and signs and wonders and miracles can be revealed through you. Don't be like the Pharisees and scribes. Please don't be like the Pharisees and scribes. Open up your heart. Begin, I'm at minus six. Inner consent. I want to get into the place where it's different. The scribes and Pharisees show here right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry why they were unable to go the journey. Because they were unable to surrender their worldview to that of what God was offering them, what Jesus was offering them. Going back to faith. So he, said, he didn't say to the paralytic his faith. It says, and, they, and Jesus seeing their faith. So he saw the faith of the paralytic and his four mates. He saw the faith. And so this is why together you've got to go on a journey. This is why together you've got to pray for one another. This is why together when you come into worship and you create that sort of atmosphere that you did that we had earlier, that you actually are reaching out to God in those moments. And when I leave today, that you reach out to God and say, God, I, I, I help me see where my inner consent's up to and help me go on a journey over the next 13 weeks. Help me to shift my inner consent. I don't want to be a Pharisee and a scribe, Lord. I don't, I don't want to be one of those people. I, I actually want to go the journey. If it's going to take me two or three years, so be it. I'm, I'm open to failure. I'm open to it not, not being a problem. So, so his, faith is risk. And, uh, and so he saw their faith. They took a risk. Here's the biggest risk that you're going to take if you want to step into signs, wonders, and miracles. The biggest risk that you're going to take is that you're going to look like an idiot, that you're going to fail. What's going to help you get over those seven, eight, nine, ten times when nothing happens? I'll tell you what will help you. It will be your love to see everything restored back to the way God originally intended it to be, which is greater than your need to protect yourself. Because fear, you'll be afraid. Let me just name it right up front. You're going to be afraid. You'll be afraid that when you pray, nothing happens. You'll be going, has my inner consent moved far enough that something's going to happen? Well, you're never going to know unless you do. You're never going to know how fast you can drive a car until you drive it fast. Trying to help my grandchildren like that, but their grandmother doesn't agree. But anyway, so, so, you, so when you fail, what is it that happens inside of you? Well, when you fail, you're thinking about what it meant for you rather than what it meant for the other person. At least you had, at least you had a go. Wow. I, you know, I love watching basketball and American basketball. The best shooters in American basketball shoot at about 35%. So, only 35% of the time that they throw a shot up, does it go in. Does that stop them from throwing the ball up? Of course it doesn't. Because they know as long as they keep throwing the ball up, some are going to go in. And so, what moves us past the fear of something not happening? Because when we're afraid of something not happening, we're actually thinking more about my well being than about their well being. Because we're thinking about what it means for me, what it means for my reputation. What are they going to think about me? What are they going to say about me? And and what's happened for all of us as we're growing up, we've all got this performance thing inside of us that wants to find our well-being in how we perform. And so if we don't perform well, then our sense of well-being drops. But what we've got to get to is a place where my well-being is not connected to my performance. My well-being is connected to God's view of reality. That's where my roots are going down. And so one of the big wrestles that we had to go through was that that if if I didn't pray for somebody because I was afraid... I was actually saying my well-being was more important than their well-being. At the end of the day, that's, exact, that's, that's really what's happening. We're more concerned about what it means for me and protecting myself than we are about the possibility of them having an encounter with God. And so again, this is just all about being really honest with God and honest with ourselves. It's not a pass or fail thing. It's just simply you've got to be able to acknowledge where you are and say, God, I'm up for the journey. And that's the invitation that you've been given for the next 13 weeks, is an invitation into a journey where you would examine your inner consent, where you would examine your love for other people, that things would be restored back to the way God originally intended them to be, and where you would examine your faith, that you're prepared to actually take a risk to do this, recognizing that compassion and faith collide together when you decide not to pray for somebody, because what you're saying is that, your well-being is more important than theirs. Now, that can sound harsh if you live in a performance-based world. But we don't live in a performance-based world. We live in a world of total acceptance before God. We live in a world where God loves us completely and utterly because he made us. It's not because of what we do. It's because of whose we are, which is captured in that book radically restored to oneness with God and I taught on it here a couple of years ago you see the wonder of the journey that you're going on is twofold the first wonder of it is that you actually are going to become an apprentice to Jesus more fully and more completely and more deeply than you ever have before because that's what he invited Andrew and Simon into and he's inviting us into the same thing. He's inviting us in to give him glory and to give him honour in ways that are undescribable. because when you pray for somebody and you see them get healed, everything being restored back to the way that God originally intended to be, be brings great joy to you and brings great joy to them. And the second thing is that, that you actually begin to see people's hearts and minds open up to the wonder and the beauty of who the God is that we serve and we love. And so as we come to a close this morning, as I come to a close, you're going to continue on, but as I come to a close, I wanted to land in a place where I want to pray for you, and I want to land there because I want to ask the Holy Spirit to birth something in you this morning. This is the, the amazing thing about Mary, Jesus' mother, was that she, the kingdom came to Mary because she gave inner consent To God's view of reality that she was going to become the mother of the saviour of the world she agreed with what the angel was saying and so she got impregnated with Jesus for the majority of you in the room this morning there are some early adopters here who you know are sort of thinking what I'm looking forward to everybody else catching up with me and seeing signs wonders and miracles God bless you I'm thankful for you but the majority of you in the room this morning are starting behind zero The majority of you in the room this morning are in a place where you're going to have to go on a journey, where you're going to let God birth something in you that you would say, God, I want my inner consent to match up with your view of reality, that I am a child of God. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. I have the word of God. I have authority to cast out demons. I have authority to release healing to the sick. I have authority to see miracles take place, see food multiplied, to see money turn up from nowhere. That's who I am. I, God, I, I'm, I want to go on a journey that you would help me to realize that's who I am. That's my destiny. You're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. But God, I need you to birth it in me. And I need it to grow over these coming weeks. And I, I acknowledge that I'm, I'm afraid. I acknowledge that I don't quite know where this is going. I acknowledge that I'm going to fail. But none of that matters. You see, for Mary, she had to wrestle with that. She knew that when she said to Joseph she was pregnant, she had some answers to give to him that he wasn't going to believe. It's going to look like she had failed in the eyes of her betrothed, Joseph, in the eyes of her family. What do you mean you're pregnant before you got married? In the eyes of her whole community, which in those days was really small. Villages only had four or 500 people in them. Everybody knew one another. And so Mary's inner consent to the word of God cost her something. And I found my inner consent to the word of God always cost me something. But I've just chosen to pay the price because the prize is so much better. This morning you might have got up and watched the television. I'm going to finish on this point. Watching Ashbardi win Wimbledon last night. It was a dream she carried from being a child. And she carried it. And she went on the journey of learning how to play tennis. She She failed. She made mistakes. She got injured, but she held on to the dream. I wonder whether you can live with the dream of seeing God's supreme rule and reign exist in the lives of you, in your life and the lives of others who don't know Jesus yet, that you can carry the dream, that you can restore everything back to the way God originally intended it to be, because you've been invited to be an apprentice to Jesus, to be conformed to his image, would you allow that dream to be birthed in you this morning, which is what kept Ashbardi going? She dreamt of standing on that court, holding up that uh, trophy. What are you dreaming about? That, that's the invitation that these next you know, 12, 13 weeks is all about. Can you dream like this? That's the invitation that Jesus is inviting you into. Could we all stand together this morning so that I can pray that that dream would be birthed in you, And that you would be prepared to go the distance. So again, I invite you, use your imagination. Your imagination is one of the most powerful tools that you have for getting out of your intellect and into the world of the Spirit. Your imagination, Jesus has walked into the room, just like he walked past Simon and Andrew. He walked past them and said, come follow me. I'll make you fishes of men. Come and follow me and I'll teach you how to restore everything back to the way God originally intended it to be. He's in the room. He's offering you an invitation. He's offering you an invitation to step into the fullness of who you were created to be. And he wants to birth that inside of you that it would become a dream, that you would dream about it. You would dream about seeing people get out of wheelchairs. You dream about seeing food multiplied for those that don't have enough you dream about seeing resources turning up so that you could be more generous. So Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence right now. And I thank you, Lord, that you are birthing in each of us, me included, I'm praying for myself, Lord, as well, birth in us, Lord, a bigger dream than we currently carry for being conformed to the image of Christ. Birth in us, Lord, a dream that we'd be ones where our inner consent expresses the supreme rule and reign of your authority. We adopt your view of reality. Birth inside of us, Lord, a love to see things restored back to the way they were originally intended to be. Birth in us, Lord, a love that surpasses our fear, where we think more about what it means for others than we think of what it means for ourselves. Deliver us, Lord, from the need to be right. Deliver us, Lord, from the need for performance. Deliver us, Lord, from the need to impress. Deliver us, Lord, from the need to live with a reputation. Help us, Lord, to put our roots firmly and squarely and deeply into your love. Holy Spirit, as I leave here today, as this beautiful group, group of people worship you, I pray that the work of, that you want to do in their lives would be accelerated that it would be empowered and that it would gather a momentum that surprises each and every one of us come Holy Spirit continue to work in these hearts